The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. You are now listening to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host, for the show that defends public health by simplifying and demystifying how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into freedom, a healthy gut, and staying young, this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of the Health Heroes Show. Today in the house, I've got a, um, a new good friend of mine named Scott Shera. He was actually referred to me by uh, Ashley James over at the Learn True Health Podcast. It was a must-tell story. And um, I just want to give you a platform, Scott, to get this, your story and your daughter's story out so that other people don't have to go through what you and your family and your loved ones have had to go through recently. So I really appreciate you um, being here. Thanks for being on the show, brother. Well, thanks for having me. It's always wonderful that people are willing to let us get the story out. I mean, we, we are um, on a mission to help save lives and um, and hopefully have people's hearts be pricked to see that they've been duped by our government and, and yeah. uh, turn their hearts over to the Lord. Well, this is similar to um, a story that I rem- the the gal um, who started uh, uh, mad mothers against drunk driving. Right. So her daughter got killed by a drunk driver. And I've always said, um, if you ever want to get anything done, it, it only takes one pissed off woman. Right. Or in this case, a pissed or mom or a pissed off dad. Right. So that woman then started an organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, out of her deceased daughter's bedroom and built it into what it is today. And I see a similar parallel here with what um, with what you you're doing with your uh, your story with your daughter, Grace. So why don't you just give us your backstory and how you got to doing what you're doing today? So Grace, uh, you know, Grace is the motivation behind it. You're spot on. Grace was 19 years old. She had Down syndrome. She, uh, she was my best buddy. She was my wife's best friend. Uh, my wife uh, did a great job homeschooling Grace. So she was very high functioning. She could read and write. She played violin. She rode a horse. I taught her how to drive a car. Uh, and on top of that, she had a sense of humor. She was, uh, she was just a, she was a blast. I mean, God gave us an, an absolute angel in our life for 19 years. And you know, so it's, it's actually easy to do this. I've been working full time on this uh, since December. Uh, it started back in November when we started researching, but you know, then I was doing it about half time, but then full time, which means, you know, in the neighborhood of 90 hours a week, I've been working on this. I, I own a business and thankfully my guys, uh, are taking it over so that I just don't have time. Uh, there's so much going on, uh, not just the research, you know, so we were, you know, so I did about 600 hours of research, then I mean, you're going to hear a, a boiled down version of that here, but then, you know, then on top of the research, you've got to get the word out. And as we have found out, the national media is, has been bought. So, you know, this is one podcast at a time. So I've been on a uh, it'll be, I think, at the end of this week, about 150 shows already, and you know, it's it's so that takes a fair amount of time. And then we're also uh, working with a legal team um, because I've been convinced that filing a lawsuit is maybe the best way to stop this behavior. Uh, so we're not after any money out of it, but Grace's case is so egregious that we can hopefully set a national precedent by by uh, litigating her case. Okay, so you raise your daughter, you're just a hardworking guy, you got your own business, you know, trying to live your life and have a, have a good life and you're enjoying your daughter. And then um, what happened? Well, we, Grace, Grace got COVID around September 28th and the, um, we were fully prepared and without anything of it. We had, she was on a vitamin protocol beforehand. We got her on ivermectin. We were following the frontline doctor's protocol. So I just never thought anything of it. But I went into the hospital with COVID three days after Grace died, substantially worse. And so that got me researching, well, what's going on? And uh, I'm very analytical. My background before the business I own now is a, is a CPA. So, I mean, I got to research stuff and figure it out. And ultimately uh, learned 
that because I had a genetic, I have a genetic disposition to clot and produce inflammation, Grace, Grace likely inherited that for me and those conditions yield uh, a situation with the Delta variant that would get you to having low oxygen saturation. So that's why we took Grace to the hospital. We took her to the emergency room on October 6th with low oxygen saturation. And uh, she was in the high 80s at that point. And, and we perceived it, unfortunately, as an emergency. And if I would have known then what I know now, we would have likely still went to the emergency room, but we would have never admitted her to the hospital. We would have went home with a prescription for oxygen and a steroid and Grace would be alive today. And I, I don't say that without the evidence. And the reason I can say it without with the evidence is <clears throat> one of the reasons I think God placed me in a different hospital was so I could tell the story objectively. So the hospital I went into uh, didn't do anything the same as the way Grace was was treated. And in, I went in in the hospital with roughly, I mean, I almost died the first night. I was at least three times worse than Grace. And in 24 hours, they saved my life. So yeah, that's why I say with confidence, um, Grace would be alive today. So, you know, a major take-home message from people hearing this is uh, you, the hospital needs to earn your trust and you need to vet the hospital before you have a situation. So all of us will likely end up in the hospital at some point in our life and the time to vet them is not on the ambulance ride over. You need to vet them ahead of time. Yeah, and that's just something that nobody even thinks about, like, or it's kind of like, you know, I was a financial advisor for a while. Most people put off getting a will or a trust in place because like, well, you know, it's Friday, pizza, let's watch the ball game. It's like, or go get my trust done. Mm, I'm right. going to probably go watch the ball game, have some hot dogs, right? So, and hang out with my friends. So we put it off because we don't think we're going to die ever. I think that's why we hide from that. And then we end up leaving a huge mess behind for our, for our family. And the same thing, it's like nowadays it's you can't it's almost unfathomable that you have to like go pre-screen your hospital way ahead of time just in case you ever have to go. But that what you're saying is is that's what you believe that we need to do today. Why do you believe that so strongly? Well, I have come to the conclusion, as I said when during the introduction, I have six hundred hours of personal research in Grace's case. And about seven weeks ago, I came to the conclusion, and I'll, let me just set this up. So when I first started getting the word out, just about every host, when they heard the story, said, well, they murdered her. But I, yeah, that's hard. That's a tough conclusion to come up to because you start with innocent till proven guilty. And, um, mm -hmm. and I wasn't willing to call it that at that time. But as I have done more and more research, and now I've got this much into it, and um, we've gotten new records, more records, uh, and ultimately, as we walk through her story, you'll see why I have concluded about seven weeks ago that I believe Grace's death uh, wasn't just that they killed her, but it's premeditated murder, and you can judge for yourself after you hear the details. And, 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 and when you're sorry about that, and when you're saying when you're saying premeditated murder, are you're you're, you're not really talking about the doctors and nurses, the people working there, but the people that are driving standard of care, or are you talking about the doctors and nurses? It's the whole thing. Um, it's, it's not just the, the hospital system, but it's also the government behind it. The hospitals have become an arm of the government. So the government has a protocol in place and they know, I, I just, just connect the dots here, Kim. So for example, they know statistically, if somebody gets on a ventilator with COVID, they have an 85% chance of dying. Only 15% of those people walk out alive. And on top of that, the 15% that walk out alive, most of them die in the first year because of complications of the vent. Okay, so this is mandated by the government. The statistics are there, but they don't change the protocol. So, you know, they're- Okay, so what you're, what you're saying here is that, and- they they put people on it. Well, it's pretty standard practice. If when you go in, it seems like from the people that I've interviewed and talked to, they really number one really want to get a COVID diagnosis, right? Because if somebody has pneumonia, the hospital gets like forty five hundred dollars, let's say on average, right? But if it's a COVID diagnosis, it's thirteen thousand, right? So there's a money play there, 
And then on top of that, if then they go on a ventilator, I think the total is like around 37, 38,000. Yeah, well, it's way more than that. The ventilator at the first cut is 39 grand when they put them on a ventilator, but then they also get put on a sedation med called Presidex, which classifies the room as ICU. So that's another bonus. And the money trail with a ventilator is about 300 grand. And the reason is, is not just with the, so they get the, the vent bonus, the ICU bonus, they get the death bonus because the person dies, but the average hospital stay is 22 days. And what so- What do you mean a death bonus? There's a $13,000 death bonus if they list COVID as the cause of death on the death certificate. Oh, that's what I was talking about. So instead of 4,500 for pneumonia, as an example, it'd be, they get 13 grand for- it's, it's almost it's weird I think that the, the terminology you're using right there, death bonus. It's like they're getting bonused for a death in a it's, certain it's way. It's so backward. Um, and so, you know, when I say they're all in on it, and this is, so, I mean, I, I realize, and I, I've said this a few times now, if I heard myself speak seven months ago, I would have said, at best, this guy is a conspiracy theorist, and at worst, he's a whack job. And so, I mean, you don't know me from Adam, but you look at, I've got this research that I'm going to go through. It's all on Grace's website. And it's because there's a believability factor to this story. And if a person believes what I'm saying, and then it's all backed up by the research. So the research is not just opinions. It's all there. Mm -hmm. uh, so then if you believe what I'm saying, it has to cause an action. Just like you mentioned with the will, if the person knew they were going to die on Monday, they would get their will done on the Friday instead of having hot dog, right? Yeah. Yep. Because that belief of dying on Monday would cause an action. Beliefs always cause an action. So if a person believes what I'm telling them, that causes an action. But people don't want to believe our system is that corrupt, but it is that corrupt. When we filed uh, complaints, I mean, you, you just have to see the volume of research. So when you see the volume, and then you think, oh my gosh, this is so convicting. Then you realize we filed complaints against the doctor and the hospital with the state agencies, and they gave them both a clean slate. They said in both cases, the hospital and the doctor did no wrong. So then well, they did start, what they were told to do. They followed well, it, protocols, right? Well, the protocol they did on Grace was not what everybody else is being killed by, which is remdesivir in a vent. They didn't do remdesivir in a vent on Grace. They figured out another way. And that's really why I'm uh, out promoting this because this new way is already standard protocol in the UK. They give, they give the uh, elderly comfort care drugs, uh, which is what they did to take Grace out. And then they put DNR orders on them. So DNRs do not resuscitate. And the state in the UK has said, that's okay, doctors, this is, it's fine for you to do this. In Grace's case, they put a DNR order on Grace without our permission. And so, I mean, you, you process that those, those med combinations that we'll get into in a DNR order, this is going to be the new standard folks. And so you don't believe it, watch it happen. And Grace's, you know, when I first discovered this, I thought, why? Well, I think Grace's case is the first one they've been caught at. And now I've heard of three more cases that parallel Grace's case. And I think once, once a lawsuit is filed on this, you know, we have a legal team working on this now. And I think what's going to happen is a whole bunch of people, once this gets exposed on a national basis, they're going to come out of the woodwork and, and, uh, and say the same thing happened to their loved ones. Yeah. Well, I've actually had personal experience. My my webmaster who ran the back uh, my back of my business, um, you know, because we have an e-commerce business selling detox, nutrition supplements, and we do coaching and all this stuff. Well, you got to have somebody running that stuff, right? And this gentleman, um, Frank, uh, he ended up uh, getting COVID. He lives with his seventy-year-old mom. He's originally from Honduras, and they had not had any. Uh, relatives visit them in 17 years. Well, two of his nieces came up to visit and they stayed with him and his mom and they thought it would be a genius idea to go down and get uh, a COVID jab to yeah. protect themselves. And what they do was that, yeah, of course, you probably know they put the spike proteins in them and then they went home and gave it to Frank and his mom. And they're both compromised with their health. And 
another business partner friend of ours was like frank he's like look dude he's like you need to get into the hospital like now and he finally talked him into doing it and then he went into the hospital and then you know standard of care started taking him down and he's like look i'll be out here in a couple weeks and i'm like frank like i do not mess around like i've been interviewing people on these podcasts i said they're going to put you on a bunch of drugs and dope you up and then they're going to put you on a ventilator and then it's sirenara for you dude that's you have a very low probability of walking out of there like and i'm like i have a business to run and you're a big integral part of my business so you know there's that plus i'd become friends with them and i so i had lined up a nurse practitioner because he was down in miami um that, that lived in like um uh oh was it called it's not west palm beach it's south of there can't think of it but it wasn't too far away. Maybe she's about an hour, hour and a half away from him. And um, and uh, she was ready to go down there. She was a an RN that was has her own practice and knows about health and all this stuff and knows what to do. And she could have went down there and, and been his patient advocate. And I had her all lined up and he wouldn't do it. He was just oh, stubborn. Gosh. He wouldn't do it. And what ended up happening? His mom passed away and then he passed away. And from what I thought, you know, I thought, well, wow, the hospital just got like, you know, almost 80 grand. But what you're telling me, it was because they were like they were there for two, three, four weeks. So it yeah. could have been that three hundred thousand dollar each job. That's a well, lot keep, of freaking dough, dude. Well, no kidding. I mean, they, they keep them alive. They extend the, the, the death by because of the money. So that's why it ends up to be in the three hundred thousand range, because they have not only all these bonuses, but then they have the insurance payments for 20, 22 days is the average stay in the hospital with a vent. And so that's why it, it gets into the $300,000 range. It's, yeah. It's, and it was really simple. I did research on that. You know, when you have pneumonia or you have COVID and these spike proteins or whatever, you basically have fluid in the lungs, the alveoli get filled up with liquid. And then when you put them on a ventilator, you're just creating more pressure in there. And it's just almost, it's like physics at that point, it's like hydraulics, right? And you explode the AVLI and you kill, they die. I mean, that's just what happens. It's like, but they, they just keep doing it. They just keep doing right. it. And you, you gave some statistics earlier that 85% of the people that go on event die. And then of the 15% that are left over within one year, what percentage of those die from complications? I don't, I just know the majority. I don't know that. Percentage. The majority. Yeah. So yeah. Mo you go on a ventilator, you're pretty much toast. And Correct. then I mean, I've heard stories of a few people that are like, nope, nope, I'm not taking a ventilator. Don't do it. And they get out of there by the hair of their chinny chin chin. But they had to fight tooth and nail. And usually you have to have somebody there with a very strong backbone and knows what's going on. And they will stand up for themselves or they have a patient advocate that will stand up for them. That's the only way to navigate through that, because otherwise you are going to get shoved, pushed, guilted. What do you, we're the doctors, we're the experts, blah, blah, blah. And again, the doctors and nurses, there's a lot of good ones out there, but they're just, they're following standard of care. But, you know, because they could lose their job if they don't do what they're told. They'll lose their license real quick. And then they got $200,000 of student loans still that they owe. So, you know, or kids in college and a house payment. And, you know, so they On just don't want to rock that, You know, it even gets worse. So they have the third leg of the stool. So you have the, the money trail, which is following the standard of care. Then you have the shroud of secrecy. So in, in our case, we were in the room. They killed Grace while we were there, but in most 99% plus, nobody's in the room. So they can get away with whatever they want. Yeah. And then well, the third the third leg of the stool is they have immunity from liability if they follow that standard of care. So not only are they protecting their job and getting COVID bonuses, but they have immunity from liability. It's It's insanity. Yeah, it really is. Okay, well, let's do this. We'll take a quick break. When we get back, we'll get, start getting into Scott's research and what he dug up. We'll be right back. The average person today is carrying around 6 to 12 pounds of impacted fecal material and mucoid plaque in the small and large intestine. That's gross, but worse, it's super unhealthy. That is why we created Gut Detox Formula. This ancient 1,000-year-old formula from India gently micro-cleanses the intestines, removing all of that funk and gunk and junk that is destroying your health. The best part, it is super gentle and there is no diarrhea like most gut detox products and it's made with the same chemical-free body promise, no stimulants, 100% nature and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I am back with my guest, um, Scott Shara. We're talking about his story 
uh, and his daughter's story, Grace, um, how he lost his daughter to um, hospital protocols. And okay, so <clears throat> just to confirm that you're not some conspiracy theorist that decided to leave his full-time business to pursue his daughter's death because he's a crazy man. What did you come up with? You know, you have a CPA background, you're kind of analytical, maybe an engineering type mind, and you, you went 600 hours into research and you, what did you learn? What did you find out, Scott? Well, I'll walk through Grace's uh, last day and what will happen is we'll cover the research. There's more than that, but you know, there's, there's only a limited time on a podcast, but we'll walk through her last day and then that's enough that that'll whet people's appetite to go to the website. But on Grace's last day, which I have a timeline of her last day under the thou shall not kill tab of the website. Anyway, the started at eight o'clock in the morning. The doctor called Cindy and I at home. And so you think, well, why, why weren't you in the hospital, Scott? That would be your first question. And the reason is, is three days earlier on October 10th, I was kicked out by an armed guard on the Sunday morning, October 10th. So now it's eight o'clock in the morning on October 13th. The doctor called Cindy and I at home. My wife's name is Cindy. Jessica, our 32-year-old daughter, is in the hospital with Grace. She'll be 32 coming up in two weeks. So she reviews all my podcasts. So if I don't make that qualifier, she'll come back and say, Dad, I'm only 31 now. So I got to make sure I get that right. Anyway, the... Um, so she's in the hospital with Grace. The doctor calls us. And the purpose of the call was to follow up on a call the evening before when he asked us, this was for the fourth time they wanted us to give a pre-authorization or a pre-approval for a ventilator. And so he was following up on that request. And so they framed it that we want to have this pre-approval because these type of things happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. So we want to have this pre-approval just in case. And so when he called and asked for that, we said, no, as we said before, we're not doing a ventilator. So that's called DNI, do not intubate. And so then he said, uh, Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should put her on a feeding tube. And so we foolishly agreed to this feeding tube. So Grace is malnourished at this point. So I say foolishly because I have, have the benefit of hindsight. So it was framed such that, you know, Grace had such a good day, we should do a feeding tube. We gotta get her nutrition back before she can get out of the hospital. Uh, she had already had a pick line in so she could have had TPN food, but he said, if we're worried about risk of infection with that. So we should do this feeding tube. Grace should have been fed the entire time she's in the hospital. They denied me feeding her. They denied Jessica feeding her. The nurses only gave her a few protein shakes when we were not, when we had lack of advocacy. So between the time that I got kicked out and when we got Jessica back in, there was 44 hours without an advocate. We had to hire an attorney to negotiate to get an advocate back in. During that 44 hours, instead of feeding Grace, they, they, they sedated her. And we'll, I'll comment on that as we keep well, going. Well, one so. thing, Scott, that's really appalling to me being kind of a, a chef and, you know, raw living food chef and, and really into health and nutrition is that there, there is no nutrition at a hospital. It's, it's non-existent. Okay. So the whole idea that a doctor says we have to get nutrition into them, doctors, um, sorry, but you've taken less than maybe two weeks of nutrition stuff. And most doctors, I, I ask that question, they start laughing. They're like, that's for the dietitian and the nutritionist. And then, you know, 80, 70, 80% of the dietitians and nutritionists are overweight. So are, we're, the system's uh, quite broken. And they probably gave them Ensure or something, which is just a, you know, you said a protein shake. Right. It's probably that's just, what they did. It's a that's sugar it. deal. That's what it is. The right. first ingredient is most likely sugar, right? So yeah. that's not nutrition. That could be chemical sprayed beets um you know, sugar beets and stuff like that so anyway it's just um it's unbelievable when you have somebody that's their body's down and they actually need nutrition and then they just give them garbage i mean like literally they pour more garbage into their body it didn't help them so anyway i could digress on that but no, that's, you're you're right on so now so we we approve this so then the next thing that happens is jessica's so there's a 14-year icu nurse in charge of grace's care this last day she was actually in charge of her care the day before too. And we knew Grace was doing uh, well because Jess 
told us Grace's oxygen was 98, 99% all night long. You know, she's sleepy, but we didn't realize she's sleepy because they were sedating her. Uh, we realized that after the fact, which we'll get into. So there's a 14-year ICU nurse in charge. This is significant because when you look at it, you might think, well, this is just medical malpractice that happened. And that's what I thought originally, you know, but medical malpractice practice has an incident of accident associated with it. And this is what I'm going to explain. I think you'll conclude the same as I, I have is that it's not an accident. So then, you know, so uh, Jess says to the nurse that she wants to take a shower. And she said, you can't take a shower in the room. When I was in the room, they insisted I take a shower in the room. I couldn't leave the room. And so Jess challenges the nurse and said, well, when my dad was in here, you know, he was told he had to take a shower in the room. She said, I don't care what happened with your dad. You need to go home and take a shower. So just being uh, at least a bit fearful of being kicked out because I was kicked out three days earlier, goes home and takes a shower. When she comes back less than an hour later, she's gowning up in the hall and she hears two doctors and this ICU nurse say the family's not going to like this. So she asks, what aren't they going to like? While she was gone, they strapped Grace down to the bed and made her poop in the bed. So now they take the sedation med called Presidex. I'm going to digress into Presidex for a minute. And they ratchet it up further. So Presidex is a sedation med. All these meds have what's called a package insert, which are the rules they're supposed to follow. In the case of Presidex, it says to specifically on the package insert to not use for more than 24 hours. And this is significant. When we studied the records, we found out they actually put Grace on Presidex starting on October 9th. So she's on it four full days in spite of the package insert saying it's only for 24 hours. So you think, well, what is the reason? So we've learned that package or that uh, Presidex is, is set up for events. So they get these patients on Presidex so that once the family or the patient approves a vent, they can just do it in an instant. And on top of that, what happens is two other significant things when somebody's on Presidex. Number one is the room gets classified as ICU. So we found this out in reviewing the records. Now Grace's room is ICU. She never got moved. She stayed in the same room and the care never changed. But the, the amount of money got changed to ICU money. Uh, and on top of that, if you want to take out the patient after their on a sedation med, you can't. It's called against medical advice. So we couldn't just walk Grace out and say, we've had enough. So that's, that's egregious in and of itself. But as we now we step into the next thing, which is they do the feeding tube next. So now they take this Presidex and they max it out. She's on max dose Presidex at 1048 in the morning. Two hours earlier, Jessica left for take a shower. She gave Grace a hug and said, Grace, I'll be right back. And Grace said, okay, Jess, you know, just process this. Now in two hours, she's knocked out. So she's on a dose that knocked her out like she's going into surgery. Mm. I was on Stu Peters um, the week before last and his producer wanted me to drill down Presidex. And so I had reviewed the package insert before. And, but I had remembered, I saw this someplace else. So the package insert, I'm gonna read this to you. It says, adverse reactions associated with infusions greater than 24 hours in duration include ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, respiratory failure and agitation. So I'm laying in bed thinking about this interview with Stu Peters and I remembered, I saw this. I wrote myself, I sent myself an email from my phone in bed. And then the next morning I looked at Grace's death certificate, which I hadn't looked at for seven months the immediate cause of death, acute respiratory failure. So you, you obviously know, I just read that to you. So Presidex caused her death. And with hypoxemia, which is low oxygen, a symptom of Presidex is also low oxygen. Of course, the second cause of death is COVID-19 pneumonia, so they could get their death bonus. So now she's knocked out. In spite of being knocked out, at 11.25, they gave her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety med. Have you ever met anybody that has anxiety when they're knocked out? You know, that's rhetorical. At 5.46, they gave her another dose of lorazepam. At 5.49, another dose. And at 6.15, they gave her a two milligram dose of morphine as an IV push, which means instantaneously. So in 29 minutes, 
they had max dose Presidex, two doses of lorazepam and morphine. We have an intensivist who reviewed the records. An intensivist is an expert in med combinations. The med combination on the morphine package insert says to not do that because it causes death. The intensivist said, yes, the, the meds killed your daughter. So in order for this med combination to happen, the doctor had to order it, right? Obvious. But it's, it's way worse than that. The doctor was experienced. A pharmacist had to sign off on the order. The alarm system would have went off because this med combination is not supposed to be used. The package insert says don't do it because it causes death. And then the nurse was a 14-year experienced ICU nurse. She had to make a conscious choice to inject these meds into Grace, knowing it was going to kill her. So just process that. And it gets, it gets quite a bit worse than this, Tim. So you think, well, isn't that enough to convince you? Well, it, you know, it's, it's, it's actually worse. So then what happens next is Jessica's in the room with Grace. She senses Grace is getting cold. So she asked the ICU nurse to take a temp. She said, that's normal. She said, just cover with a blanket. The package insert for morphine says that not only not to combine those meds, but you're supposed to have the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. No nurse or doctor stepped foot in that room after the morphine was delivered to Grace. The morphine was delivered at 6.15. Grace died at 7.27, hour and 15 minutes later. Jess feels Grace gets cold. The ICU nurse says that's normal. A phlebotomist came in to do a blood gas draw. She didn't think Grace was cold at all. It's like, this is insane. They're all in on it. Well, then Jess calls us at 7.20, my wife and I on a FaceTime call, panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, they will not come in. She estimated 30 nurses in the hall at, at that point. She said, I've been trying. They won't come in. So Cindy and I start hollering, save our daughter. And they holler back to us, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. And we, we holler, she's not DNR, save our daughter. They would not come in and use that reversal drug to save Grace. So we watched Grace die at 727 on FaceTime. Jess had run out in the hall during that window of seven minutes. And one of the nurses read off the, on the computer screen that the doctor put a DNR order on Grace and they can't do anything about it. We had requested all the records. When Tom, we got involved with Tom Renz, he's the one leading up the legal team. He hired a medical malpractice nurse to review these records. She said, Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages. So then she helps write a request to get the remaining pages. We got 948 pages. On page 853 of 948, we found that the doctor put the DNR order on Grace at 1056. That's eight minutes after they maxed out the Presidex. So connect the dots. One of the attorneys who looked at it said, well, it was obvious they thought the Presidex was going to take Grace out. So they had to put the DNR order in place to be able to accomplish their goal. You know, of course, that's speculation, but it fits the crime here. So how we got clued in all on all this and why we're all in is, is thankfully one nurse um, stepped foot forward that evening. So I took Grace, or excuse me, I took Cindy to the hospital after Grace died. And um, I had to stay in the truck because I had COVID. Her and, and Jess cleaned Grace up. Our pastor met us there. And after everything was done, the pastor was walking Cindy out in a wheelchair. And one of the nurses who had Grace's belongings on a cart leaned down and said to Cindy, me and several of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. So that gave us the clue that we need to do an investigation and figure out what's going on. And to make matters worse, that evening, Jessica explained to us that there was an armed guard posted outside in the hallway. You know, of course, we don't know why, but I say posted with confidence. We think it's to prevent the nurse from coming in to save Grace. And the reason I say he's posted there is because after Grace died, Jessica crawled in bed with her to hold her until Cindy got there. And that armed guard watched Jessica through the nurse's window the entire time. Mm. So that's, that's, the, 
that's the story in a compressed version. I, I, I mean, it's, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, when my, when I just, when I heard the news that my little brother had died in a mountain biking crash and you know, your whole world is just flipped upside down, but it's like, it was like you guys were witnessing the crash happening and you couldn't do anything to stop it. And they're in a hospital, which is where people are supposed to save people. Right on. It's like you, it's like trusting your kids to the school system. And then the, the teacher sleeps with your kids, right? Yeah. Um, go to the hospital and you you expect them to help save them. And they're actually doing the opposite. And then they have all these laws and rules and regulations against youth that, that hand make like you could go to jail if you try to save your daughter in that situation. Right. Right. I mean, how backwards That's... is this? And then here you are as parents watching this happen. You got this beautiful angel in your life. And all of a sudden you have to watch her, you know, slip slip away i mean i can't even imagine dude it's like so i get it i understand why you're on your mission i'm i have the timetable pulled up here just like i'm looking at you know the the precedex you know midnight they gave it to her they gave it to her again at 602 they gave it at 7 a.m they gave it at 7 30 a.m 7 54 and they keep increasing the dose and then more at 10 48 and then then they gave her lorazepam again a sedative used for anxiety and insomnia she's knocked out and they're giving her this at uh, 11.25 a.m., 5.46 p.m., more lorazepam, uh, 5.49 p.m., more lorazepam, 6.15 p.m., the IV push of um, morphine, a narcotic for pain medication, which slows breathing, um, resulting in death. And then 6.37, more Presidex. Well, actually, um, that's when the Presidex was finally stopped. I mean, oh, yeah, like, sorry, 637, they stopped it, okay. You know what, I don't even get that. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so crazy. Um, anyway, the, these, these, what you were looking at the timeline, that is, um, that has become the document that has set this all up because, you know, that stuff that I posted on the timeline is directly out of the record. And mm -hmm. that got, that was the first document I, way back on December 13th, I went on national television on Newsmax and, and um, I prepped that for that, that program. And, you know, then it's taken off from there. Okay. All right. I think this is a good point where we can take a break, take a breath. And when we get back, we can get into some of the, maybe some of the solutions and what we could recommend to people facing similar situations like you and your wife did. Um, we'll be right back. Turmeric has been used for thousands of years all across India and Southeast Asia and is one of the best anti-inflammatory compounds on earth. Now you can get these incredible benefits with the new chemical-free body Turmeric 100 liquid drops. This ethically sourced breakthrough solution absorbs over 100 times better than regular turmeric products, eliminating the need to add black pepper. Turmeric 100 helps against inflammation and pain and is made with the same chemical-free body promise. No stimulants, 100% natural, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with my guest, Scott Shara. And um, Scott, you know, the story that you've shared is uh, pretty heart-wrenching. Uh, I can't even imagine it, you feeling like you're in a prison and you couldn't even go save your own daughter and you were just, like, helpless. And what a, what a horrible, horrible place to be in when your, doctor or your daughter isn't actually in a place where she's supposed to be getting help, like in a, in a standard American hospital, basically. So your research, we'll get into some of the solutions. I want to talk about your organization, um, your, Our Amazing Grace, and the website. We'll get into that. We'll post that in the description as well. It's ouramazinggrace.net. Um, but, you know, I don't want to – it's the whole thing is like, you know, most of our listeners are pretty up to speed on everything. They know that, like, the news is jacked, and we're pretty – you know, we know that the election systems are hijacked, and they know about the weighted race feature and all this other stuff. So it's not like we're not like, you know, gonna, people aren't going to be like, oh, this is a super conspiracy theory. I mean, most of our most of my listeners kind of get it. And we realize that we have to take the reins of our own life and just do things on ourselves to protect ourselves because it, it's just the environment we live in today right now. Right. And until working class people unite 
and get enough of us get pissed off and we get educated and get beyond this right versus left, pro versus anti-dialectic, and we get down to real world results and doing, you know, and getting infrastructure built in this country again, um, nothing's really going to happen. It's going to be more of the same. So eventually enough people hopefully will get pissed off enough like you have and start doing something about it like you did. You've taken action in a big way. So what is the big 30,000 foot view? What do you see going on in the medical system today with uh, with elderly and um, people that are handicapped? What, what's your opinion on that from your research? Well, the research has led me first on the money trail. So that's why I can talk about the $300,000 for the, the vent. But then the research led further, which you know, ultimately led to a, you know, I wonder if this is genocide and what is going, what would be the reason? And so you know, the, the numbers are um, interesting. So it, it got me into looking at on, the, on a national basis, what's going on. So 39% of the federal budget which is $2.2 trillion is going to fund the disabled and the elderly in today's money. And everybody knows the idea of social security is going bankrupt. Well, that's why it's going bankrupt is 39% of the budget is funding for the disabled and elderly. So grace was considered disabled. So there's a huge financial incentive to implement an agenda to take these people out. So then you start, okay, well, what's, do we have statistics that back that up? And it's starting to happen. The veil started to be lifted. Uh, one of the news articles I read about a month ago showed that disabled females um, that went into a hospital with COVID were 11 times more likely to die in the hospital versus a non-disabled female. And I think once the veil is lifted, it's going to, to show the, um, the huge uh, agenda to take out certain segments of the population. Anyway, the, uh, and this is backed up if you look at the long view. So right now, it, relative to just Down syndrome children, 67% of Down syndrome children are already aborted in the United States. Some countries have eliminated them 100%. Denmark, for example, has eliminated 98% of Down's children. Young people now, when they go to the hospital, or excuse me, when they get pregnant, they, they all want to get amnios done, which are promoted by their doctors. So then if if the test shows that they're going to have, the child's going to have a disability, they're encouraged to abort them. So the you know, just process that mindset has been indoctrinated into these young people taking care of Grace. So they see, and Grace's chart, it referenced the fact that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times. What's the reason? It only needs to be referenced once. You know, so, you know, so do you start in on that frame of reference, especially when you look at the history, this has been an indoctrination for decades. And then with the elderly, where it's similarly for decades now, when somebody gets old, we just shove them in a nursing home and they're worthless. And that's in, so in my generation, that didn't happen. But now the generation that is running the hospitals, this is standard, you know, so the disabled and the elderly are just these useless people in society. So now it's very easy for them to implement an agenda, especially if, if you're familiar with the Milgram obedience experiment, I have that posted on Grace's website too. It shows in that experiment, they were wondering how could people just take out all these Jews in Nazi Germany? And they found out that two thirds of people would give somebody a jolt, an electric shock enough to kill them just by being obedient to who's telling them to give the shot. It's just like, you can't make this stuff up. So anyway, that's, that's where the research has led. And, um, and I believe once the veil is lifted, it'll, it'll confirm what I, I believe is the case. And it's tough too, because you know, that, that whole conspiracy thing has been all designed just to create more confusion, right? Because the reality is, is that when certain things that are done that are like so heinous that you wouldn't even think are possible. Right. You know, it's like with all the pedophilia that we have going on in this country and around the world today, which is completely rampant. You um, decent people don't think that way. A decent person doesn't think about, you know, having sex with a five-year-old child, or they don't think about like jabbing uh, a 19 year old girl with a whole bunch of high, high, high power drugs to dope her up and to take her life to, you know, bake a, bake a bunch of money. Right. right. Or to, right. or to even take it further to, you know, fulfill an agenda of genocide, like you're talking about. So 
Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really know if it's like, you know, you know, complete genocide or it's the protocols were put there on purpose. I mean, kind of leaning that way. But the reality is, is let's just look at the results. What's happening with people when they go into hospitals today? The results are, um, it's, they're not safe, you know, just even before COVID and everything, 5% of people that went into hospitals for regular stuff died. You just die. Right. So it's like, in hospitals back in the day, nobody used to want to go into hospitals. It was like that. They were just like butcher shops. Like, and, and you know, then they kind of got cleaned up and the, you know, uh, after the turn of the century and stuff, but, um, man, it's like, it's just, it's just a scary proposition. Okay. So we talked about, um, like the 30,000 foot view you're, you're saying that, you know, there's, there's a money trail there that's incentivizing the whole system that it's potential genocide to get rid of, uh, you know, elderly and handicapped people from your research. And you have, you're, you're going to be filing lawsuits on this to try to back these the legal. Up? Yeah. The legal team is working on it now. So I don't know um, timetable or anything like that. I just have, uh, you know, they can, uh, thankfully Tom Renz has been involved and he convinced me uh, that we should file a, a uh, suit and the reason he convinced me of that um, is because he said Scott this is the fastest way in our system that we can um, change behavior so I mean people are being killed and if that changes behavior I mean I'm, I'm all in on it we're not taking any money you know so it isn't about money it just is we really would like this to stop of course the fastest way to stop all of this is for the doctors and nurses to repent this is a system without God. This is what happens when a society removes God from the equation and starts having man be in charge. And um, that's what's going on here. And so the only real solution is to, is to turn to God. He's the only one who can, can fix this. Um, and to do something, which is what you're doing. Right. Yeah. And, All right. So, then, so what would you like to talk about next? Well, we can talk about the two of the neat things that we're doing. I mean, it's... it's yeah, let's talk about you, some of the positive stuff. You certainly like, want to do something positive. Yeah, so what can you do? Maybe maybe people can uh, volunteer or start their own organization, or maybe they've gone through something similar, and you can give them some hope. And, like, th- this, I went to your site. It's quite robust. You have a lot of links, and you've put a lot of time into it. So tell us about the positive things that are happening because of Grace's death, because you're going to take that death and use it as contrast to fuel, um, hopefully, some change other people yeah so one of the things that happened is uh so in the early on when you start experimenting or not experimenting researching what are the legal claims you know so there's a lot of legal claims but then what's the likelihood that you know you can win a medical malpractice and you stand you kind of get a lot of bad news and one of the attorneys that i talk with that i've i've uh, come to respect and trust his first name is lee anyway he i so we're we're going through all these things and it's pretty negative with with the potential to win a lawsuit. And so then I said, Lee, if we wrote you a check for $250,000, what would you do with it? And he said, Scott, I wouldn't take your money. You'd be better off putting it in billboards. So of course, Lee didn't know my personality. And uh, so then we started looking at billboards. And yeah, what's interesting is in, in our area, we have a four lane highway going through the area. And so we looked at, okay, there's three billboard companies that own all the billboards two of them wouldn't even deal with us because they have contracts with Ascension Hospital System, who's, that's the system that killed Grace. So they didn't want anything to do with us. So the one who was local, they said, yes. So then we designed uh, the first billboard and we were calling them, calling out the meds. And uh, so I, I, once the first one got up, I sent a, a picture of it to the attorney Lee and he, he got on the phone with me. He said, I never thought you would do that. I said, Lee, think through what you're, you said. I said, I have no risk. I said, if we go to jail for these billboards, I'm going to blame it on you because you're the one who came up with the idea. So you're the one that's doing jail time, not me. And so we got a good chuckle over that. And now we have, uh, by the end of this month, we'll have 17 boards up, five different vinyls. And uh, we've committed through the end of next May at this point. And believe it or not, it's uh, we'll have $250,000 in billboards. So that that was a um, that's really a, a tribute to my best buddy Grace. You know, our whole estate was going to Grace to take care of her after right. he died, and so what do you do with it? 
so then the other thing that we did is we started a, a um, nonprofit. So it's called Our Amazing Graces Light Shines on Inc. And we have our 501c3 status. We are working with a consultant to get it set up uh, professionally now. Uh, so that will be live now and we're weeks away and we'll do a separate announcement on that. But we, that didn't stop us from giving our first grant. And so that was, it's really neat how, how God orchestrated this. So we met a, a man who had a, who has a 19 year old Down syndrome daughter. Her name is Angel, which is a perfect name for, for this. And we met him at a movie theater and we we're just talking about our buddy Grace and, and asked him, you know, is there anything that we could do to help you? We're, we're, starting this foundation and and he said boy if you could get angel a three-wheel bike that would be neat so my wife cindy and i went with with uh this dad and angel to a bike shop in appleton wisconsin back on over memorial day weekend so just a couple of weeks ago and uh, we got her a three-wheel bike we put it in the back of our suburban delivered it out to their house and she got on that bike and she just went like a bat out of hell and oh my gosh it was just beautiful it was like she was free. She could finally do something on her own. You know, on, you know, it was just, it was just absolutely wonderful. Oh, that's cool, dude. That's awesome. And there, I'm sure there's going to be many more stories coming out of your foundation like that. Oh, that's what we're, you know, after the dust settles with this, you know, we're still in the, uh, we call this the groundswell campaign, you know, getting this story out to as many people as will hear it. Then, you know, if there's going to be a justice phase with the lawsuit, which we think is coming next, and then, you know, things are going to settle out and settle down where we can get on with our life. And this is what we see our life is let's, uh, let's bless a bunch of, of kids and their families to shine the Lord's light like Grace did. Yeah. So besides just, um, you know, the important work you're doing, bringing the awareness and then giving people solutions to protect themselves and their family from the hospital protocols uh, in Grace's situation just an organization that helps kids with down syndrome. Is that the, it's, it will be all, all kids. I mean, we, we don't, uh, what, what the main goal is to have them, um, want to grace was a light. Uh, she had a way about her, um, that, and so that's what we're looking for. We want to have grace's light continue, which is, is God's light. We just, that, so any family that, uh, wants to participate in it, you know, we would consider it based on what they, what they, how they see it. So in Angel's case, I mean, this three-wheel bike, how does that shine God's light? Well, all these Down syndrome children are gifts from God and, you know, to have Angel be free and on a bike instead of playing on an iPad all day. I mean, that's, that's, that's shining God's light. So Yeah, that's huge. Get her off the darn electronics and get her out inside of nature and moving her body and moving her lymphatic system and getting some exercise. That's a, it's actually like you giving her that bike. That's what a real doctor would do. Like, and if you look up the root word of doctor, it's teacher. And I just don't, I, I think that profession has been kind of hijacked. There's not a lot of teaching going on from the doctors. Unfortunately, they have to follow standard of care and they just, they get 10, 15 minutes with you and they, their job is to get a diagnosis and then and write a prescription of a synthetic um, drug to go in your carbon-based body. So an acid-based synthetic to go in a carbon-based body, it's just never going to work long-term. And I, I know like working with Dr. Shiva Adure, I learned that he's one of the top immune, immune system experts in the world, is that pharmaceutical drugs only work on 10% of people. That's it. So if you're taking, you have, think about it, you're taking a drug for a, for a situation you got going on, you had a 10% chance it's going to work for you. That's the reality. And 90% of the people that do take it will have side effects and multiple side effects. And, and some of those are, you know, death. So it's like, why would you, it's like, I always say like, would you go buy a car knowing that only one out of, Hey, there's this car dealership and it's, it's called one in 10. And because only one out of 10 of their cars will run and work. And every once in a while, when you, you know, let's say you go down there and your wife wants a new car and you, you, you drive down and she gets it and she's driving off with her new car and you're following her and you watch the car explode right in front of you and blow up your wife. Um, but you can't sue the car manufacturer because they have laws in place to protect them. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's just where we're at today. And it's like not conspiracy theory. It's just reality where we're at with the system in general. And working class people just have to have awareness and they got to get strong and get educated like you're doing so they don't feel like they're 
a, a little small person, they can't do anything because one person, especially if they get upset um, or they lose a loved one, can move mountains. Well, I think that's right on. I love those kind of analogies too. It's because it, it's, it shows you, this is the by far and away the most surprising thing that I've seen with COVID is how dumb the population is. And your example right there just shows it. Um, yeah, one I used, I was on a, I was in Tennessee over the weekend speaking at a conference. And um, an example I used is, you know, so Grace was so smart, you know, so with an electric car, she'd say, dad, where does, where does the electricity come from? Yet people, they think electric cars are going to get rid of fossil fuels. They can't, it's like the, the blinding flash of the obvious, but they don't get it. It's like, well, it's just, you just plug it in. Well, where does that even come from? But I mean, it's, I, I can't get, I, I, it's a piece of the puzzle. I mean, we have trained out critical thinking in the public school system. And so it shows now, I mean, our population is as dumb as I've ever seen. Yeah. And a lot of it is because people are dehydrated. I mean, just not drinking enough water, you lose IQ, you're deficient in nutrients, you're polluted with chemicals, literally in the blood, fat, and muscle tissue in your brain, and you're stressed. So yeah. And then the, there's really, the education's terrible. There's really no mastery anymore. Where's the apprenticeship programs? Right. Like where somebody really gets good at something and masters a skill. It's just not, it's just not the case. And people think a lot of kids are going to college and then they get out of college and they have a rude awakening that they realize that they don't know anything that actually applies to the real world for the most part. And they're starting from ground zero, but now they have, you know, um, I mean, they had a lot of fun, you know, four years of drinking and partying, which is, you know, and socializing, which is, you know, I guess it's, I mean, I, I remember doing it. It was a good time and all that stuff, but I didn't really have any skill sets. I really don't remember like anything from college. There was a marketing class. And all I remember was location, location, location. That's pretty much what I remember from five years of college. So you got this student bill, you owe money, and you don't really know anything that, that's applicable in the real world. What are we doing? <laughs> it's like the system is just so messed up. So um, that's, a, that's another great, I mean, and you see there's article after article in the newspaper, they'll interview a, an attorney. And I remember one in the Wall Street Journal, the attorney has a $275,000 school bill. And she cannot figure out, boy, I just can't believe I have this bill now. How am I going to pay it back? I mean, it's like, man, oh, man, didn't you? I mean, <laughs> how can you even be an attorney if you didn't realize you're going to have a bill when this is done and it's got to be paid back? It's like, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, stuff. It's, it's insane. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I hope the listeners will um, share Grace's story out there with other people. I'm excited for you to get your nonprofit. I know you guys are um, not raising money just to, you know, you're actually taking the money and you're going to be doing good stuff like that, like that three-wheel bicycle that you guys gave to Angel and doing special things for children, which is awesome. Um, that is really cool. And um, I, I wish you the best with your lawsuit and everything else that you guys got going on. I hope that you just never give up and that there's a lot of love and support coming from um, all over the place. Um, I know that. And I know my listeners will, um, the health heroes out there will, will send some love and support your way. We're looking forward to doing some donations to your, to your organization. And I, and when that organization gets ready, guys, stay, stay on the beat. You can go to, um, well, can you say the website again, where they can go right now? Yeah. It's our amazing Okay ouramazinggrace.net and there's a lot of stuff to to read through there um so if you have a child that needs to go into the hospital system today um be prepared right this is not you're it's like literally going you're you're going into a war zone i mean that's where we're at today so you don't just walk into a war zone with you know a t-shirt and pants i mean you got to get prepared and you right. need to have some verbal skills and know what to say and is there there's there's a lot of stuff um on the site that can probably help you at um, ouramazinggrace.net. Thank you so much, Scott. And thank you listeners for around the world for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you will like, share, and subscribe. Um, if you like this episode, especially um, if this resonated with you or if you know somebody that's going through something like that or has already been through something that you think could join the cause and, um, and, and look for some, some moral support and somebody to connect with, I'm sure Scott and his family would be happy to do that. And they do want to connect with other people out there that have already been through this stuff or in the process of it. And they would like to be able to help you guys and share what they've learned through this process, through 
through their daughter, Grace, and her unfortunate uh, early passing at the hospital. So till next time, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening again to the Health Hero Show. I'm your host, Tim James. And remember, change yourself, change your world, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon. You have just listened to the Health Hero Show with Tim James. (laughs) 